Welcome to the Head to the Bar podcast. What you're about to hear is provided for general information purposes and support only, and it's not legal education, and it's certainly not legal advice. You should independently check the details that we're just about to discuss. Thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the team that are studying towards the November Victorian Bar Entrance Exam. I'm very pleased to be part of this community and I'm happy to be able to provide whatever information and experience I can offer in the way of pulling together the law that will be subject to the assessment and to talk about best tips in endeavouring to stay as calm as you can in the lead up and during the bar exam and of course most importantly bar exam technique. My name's Martine Marrick and I'm the convener of the team. Now, we're joined today and absolutely delighted to be so by three experienced lawyers who have each passed the bar exam and who have generously spared their time to share the wisdom that they gained during the process, which can be quite a difficult journey as I understand. I'll introduce you all um, and then we'll look forward to hearing from you one by one. First, we look forward very much to hearing from Bridie Kelly, who is the Senior Associate to the Chief Judge of the County Court. And I was very pleased to hear that she managed to pass the bar exam, which would have been uh, late last year, I believe, and she can correct me if I'm wrong. Then we'll move on to hear from Matt Murphy, um, who is a former judge's associate, now recent signatory of the bar role, and he's moved into a practice which I'm sure will be thriving in relation to criminal law and admin law. And then we'll hear from Sam Prophet, who's also a former judge's associate, who has also recently completed the Bar Readers course, uh, who practices primarily in commercial and public law and also dabbles a little bit in criminal law. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, Bridie, I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Can I invite you to join the team and unmute yourself? And you may wish to start at the beginning. We're very interested in hearing the tips that you might have in relation to preparation and best practice according to your experience in passing the bar exam. Thank you very much, Judge. I had the benefit of a similar kind of session to the one that's being run today when I started doing Judge Marrick's classes last year. And Matt and Sam kindly spoke to us then, um, as did another associate, Lockie. And each of them gave me a tip that I um, took with me. And so I'm sure that Matt and Sam will cover theirs again, but I'm going to pick up on one of the things that Lockie said. So I suppose starting from the beginning, I first wanted to think about how I study and um, it might be a really obvious thing to say, but um, I think that you need to be mindful of what's the best pace for you to study. I personally like to come back to things over a longer period of time and so I'm not good at trying to cram information in, but I know that some people are quite good at that kind of exam technique. So bearing that in mind, I created for myself a personal study plan and I found for me, um, in addition to going to Judge Marrick's classes, that that was something that kept me accountable and made sure that I didn't feel overwhelmed with the breadth of information that I needed to cover. So the plan I created had quite far out. It was more uh, broad key milestones in mind about what I wanted to 
uh, learn. And then as I approached the exam, say a couple of weeks out, it was a much more detailed focused plan, say at that granular level of detail, which practice exams am I going to sit on what days? And so I think that was a really important thing for me so that I kept on track. My other um, tip is to try and maximise the value of your notes. Um, Everyone will be different. I think should either make your own notes or make them your own. And I think the process of crafting notes to suit yourself will make you retain the information better. And I, I found that process was really important to me. And another thing I tried to do, which I found um, personally helpful, was in thinking about how you might answer the application questions. I tried to, in my study and then in the exam, if I could, reflect on any real-life examples I had. So things I'd seen in court or practical experience I'd had as a lawyer, to use that as a reference point and then a pathway to um, apply the law in the exam setting. The tip I took from Lockie, um, which I um, adopted, was he um, said, you know, it's really important to start practising concentrating for long periods of time. It is really hard. I started out setting a little alarm for myself to see how I'd go doing one hour of work uninterrupted by technology. And it took me some time to get to the point where I could do that. So it sounds like kind of a basic thing to say, but to get into the habit, and I hadn't studied for quite a while, to get into the habit of concentrating like that without interruption is a really good thing to do, I think. And finally, um, picking up on what Judge Merrick said, um, I think making yourself feel at ease in what will be the exam environment is, is key. However you do that, practice exams under timed conditions, I think will give you the most feeling of ease um, and allow you when you get into the zone to not feel that anxiety override you know, your exam potential. Thank you. It always takes a moment for me to find the unmute button. So there's an uncomfortable silence in between normal parts of conversation. Bridie, that was incredibly helpful. Thank you very much. I will return to the issue of building concentration because I share that as being one of the absolute fundamentals of good exam technique is that in some ways, I think we've been stripped of our capacity simply to sit still and concentrate unless it there's something truly meditative going on, like 20 hours of Netflix or something like that. So to do that under pressure is a very difficult task. And I'll come back to my best tips in relation to your capacity to build, a really building capacity to concentrate. Next, as promised, we look forward to hearing from Matt Murphy. And as Bridie has introduced, Matt has some deep insights in relation to best practice and moving forward with bar exam technique. We look forward to hearing from them. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Judge. Hi, everyone. First of all, I just want to um, make it clear that I don't profess to know everything in that exam now as I sit here today, but at the time of the exam, I did. I sat it twice, and I'm very open about the fact that I did not pass the first exam because I thought, like many other people I found at the court, I thought I knew what to do. I thought I had it under wraps, so I did all the practice exams, 
and I didn't think that I needed to adhere to anyone else's sort of practice and I did not pass. So when the second time came around, I thought, well, uh, what's the harm in giving what Judge Merrick was telling us a go? And my the biggest thing, the biggest tip that worked for me was I once I had my notes compiled, I got them down to something around 120 pages and I read them once a day, just read them from cover to cover. It didn't matter when I was an associate at the county court, I would get into work around 7.38. I would do an hour before I had to do any work for my judge. I could get in 20 minutes, sometimes over lunch, and then whatever I hadn't read at the end of the day, I would finish at home. And I just did that every single day for probably two or three months once the notes were compiled. And I walked into that room incredibly relaxed because all the information was there. It's a lot of information, as you are all aware, no doubt. But for me, that was the biggest thing that, that helped me. And secondly, was the realisation that I had that failing is no reflection on you as a barrister. A lot of people don't talk about the amount of times that they sit that exam. And I think it's a great shame because I can tell you, having gone through the reader's course and the list interviews, it never came up. It never came up how many times I sat the exam or how many times anyone else sat the exam. And it really does not matter. I remember when I was studying for the exam and I thought it was the world. I, I thought it meant everything, but it doesn't. And um, I realized that as at the bar, you're going to have public failures and everybody's going to know about them, see them or read about them in the paper. And if you do not pass the exam the first time you sit it, do not give up because I firmly believe it, it is the first time that many of us will experience public embarrassment, if you will. But if you can just accept that from the get-go and take that pressure off yourselves, I really think that will make the difference. I didn't realize that I get nervy until that exam. And for me, Judge Merrick recommended meditating and, and other techniques and the like to get through it. And uh, I again, I adopted those and that really helped me. So I just, I don't know if, if as a cohort, you get together and you guys all talk about it and how hard it is or the pressure that you might feel to get it, get through on your first go, especially some people I know had a bit of pre pressure from their judge because their judge would tell people that their associate was going to pass on the first go. It's a lot of pressure, but uh, take it from me. It really does not matter. And if you make it up in your mind that you are going to be a barrister, you'll sit that exam as many times as it takes. Eventually, you're all smart people, just like applying to get a job at the court. Eventually, you have to get there. And it's the same for the exam, in my opinion. So I'm very big on that. And if anyone ever wants to contact me and talk about it and talk about the pressures, the door's always open. I think that is just something that, it, yeah, that it, you can't find in a book and it's not in that reading guide on the Big Bar website. Um, but for me, it was pretty, pretty important. Thank you, Unmute, and I will now go through the process of thanking you again. Um, unmute it. What we might do is I think that both Bridie and Matt have brought up very interesting concepts that I'll speak to at the end. Um, if anyone has any questions, can you stockpile them for the moment? And then we might be able to have a, a more lively discussion uh, once we've had a chance to hear from everyone. But another mat a matter that Matt has picked up is, and Bridie spoke to this to some extent as well, is dealing with pressure is an enormous thing that we need to tackle, I think, before we deal with tackling how to deal with the law. I actually think that the dealing with pressure and the sort of bubbles of anxiety and a fear of a lack of robustness are probably the bigger impediment than the enormous volume of law that you will commit to memory. 
So we might start there before we get into legal doctrine, which is relatively straightforward. That's simply a matter of analysis and then repetition. Sam, we very much look forward to hearing from you. I'll just trouble you to unmute yourself and I'll, I'll um, go through the process of self-muting. Hi, everyone. And thank you, Judge, for inviting me to speak to everyone today. Because this exam is, is so unique, you've really got to, when you're making your notes in those early stages, remember the end goal of producing these short, snappy, very well-structured um, responses to every question within the time allowed. And for me, that was a, a huge thing to get used to. You can't sort of get um, bogged down in, in a long question that you're finding interesting or that you want to do knowledge for. I'd say that um, I would sort of start really early start making notes on all the different areas. And then as soon as you feel, actually before you even feel comfortable um, with all that content, I would suggest using those past exams as practice and learning how many minutes you can devote to each question because really it doesn't matter how fantastic your notes are, how in-depth they are, um, if you're not able to produce an answer to you know, a two, three-mark question in the, in the proportionate amount of time, whether it be four minutes, seven minutes, you won't be able to proceed through the sort of consistently you might get stuck behind and then there's that uh, a frantic chase to sort of catch up to where you should be in the exam. So I think sort of technique for studying that, ex uh, for preparing for that exam is, is everything. I feel like I reconsidered my approach to study for this exam more than any other that I'd sat at law school or in undergrad because, um, because it, it is so unique and it's so um, relentless. Three hours of writing with not a chance to sort of catch your breath. So I started, I used flashcards sort of properly for the first time ever. I did flashcards from Officeworks and I made one for each sort of topic within each of the four areas of law. I also made some um, mnemonic devices for myself to make sure that I had a structure for some of the, the commonly asked questions, whether it be on bail or hearsay questions or tendency and coincidence questions, especially the ones that there's a lot of... Um, Easy marks to pick up if you just remember to include a definition, include the test, include the exceptions, that sort of thing. So um, use of flashcards once you're a bit further along, I would recommend. I would also really just, again, emphasise time management. I would say that that more than anything else is the make or break from what I've heard, heard from a number of people. And I, kn I know that when I was doing the practice exams, how well I manage my time was crucial to whether I did well enough on my own assessment of, of that exam. So. One of the, and this is obviously getting closer to the exam, but um, I had a practice of in the first minute or two of the timed exam, a piece of paper, writing down for I have finished that question and move on to the next. And then I stuck to that timetable for myself quite closely. It's important to not be a perfectionist about answers, to move on to the next one. Even if you're not happy with it, just um, make sure that you're progressing through that exam. And that helps also, I think, with the nerves and, and the stress of it all, which um, is also a huge part of performance in this exam. And um, whatever you can identify as a, whether it be nerves, performance anxiety, if there's anything you can do to address that early, then I would highly recommend that to you. And one final tip, I, again, this is all uh, for closer to, to the exam. So if you're sort of taking notes of these things, you can maybe revisit these in a few months' time. But it's um, important to know because you, you will likely have to refer to the legislation much as you'd like to sort of commit as much of the legislation to memory. It's important to know the structure of each act so that when you are looking for a particular section that you can't quite remember, 
you can find it within that act. So even though you've gone in depth into so many of the common areas that are addressed in, in various questions in past exams, in your study process, remember to always refer back to the legislation in full, maybe read it from start to finish a few times towards the study process to make sure that you understand the structure and can find some of those more obscure sections. Other than that, I think that's about it. But if anyone has any particular questions or wants to speak more about the technique for this exam, then feel free to and judge can pass on my details. Sam, I thought you had an excellent point that you mentioned to me conversationally, and that related to the colours of the different acts, which I admit I didn't know about. So in the exam, as I understand it, you're given them under different colour codes? That's right. Um, and I wish I could remember exactly what they are, but I also use, use colour-coded notes, flashcards for myself. But if you can, if someone who's had it recently can somehow remember, it might be sort of pink for Civil Procedure Rules, blue for Evidence Act, that sort of thing. That might help you just, you know, shave off a minute, um, a few Really, it does come down to the seconds times when you're in the, um, the exam time pressure. It's been raised um, helpfully by Sophie with thanks. The exam will be remote this year, so I assume we won't be provided with any materials. So that might be a change when mm. it needs to be reduced to memory and less mm. uh, in relation to the minutiae of being able to look up and act under pressure. My view is that whether we're reducing all of it to memory without the need to refer to individual act sections, which allows for some level of forgiveness of actual section numbers, or if the act is, is made available under the exam soft, software or something like that so that you can look it up, we'll find out in late August when the chief examiner has their seminar. Would you have changed your approach if the acts hadn't been made available in that way, do you think, Sam, or would you prefer not to think back to it and just to look forward? I know I thought about this once I discussed it with um, people who were going to sit the next exam, and I think that if the acts weren't there, there wouldn't be so many tricky questions about it as an obscure section that you'd, you'd have to look up, and it would be really more devoted to the, the, the sort of areas of the questions that come up a lot, and it might not be quite so having that commonly asked questions and more obscure questions and sections. So if that makes any sense. Yes. So it changed your technique quite a lot. More general and less specific. Mm. Now, before I begin my own ramble, does anyone have any questions um, for either or both of Matt and Sam? I've had an indication. I think you'll have access to the legislation and to your notes. Okay, so that's the other extreme, which is our notes need to be more decent. The exam will be open book. That means that candidates will be allowed to, to use any non-electronic materials, e.g. notes, textbooks, printed materials. I'll give you my opinion on that. You might draw your own conclusions. Sam, you indicated that um, I understood that your notes were pretty detailed from the fact that you'd prepared a flashcard in relation to each topic. That's right. And um. I had to resist that urge to make them so detailed that they were sort of something that I've spent far too much time on and not enough time digesting, processing, making sure I was recalling things quickly. So I think the temptation to have perfect, complete notes should sort of be resisted if you can in favour of being able to recall things quickly and not refer back to your own notes. There's sort of like a challenge in that respect. Matt, I remember you saying that you also preferred a flashcard method and repetition as a way of embedding details of law into memory. Do you think the situation would change if you had a set of notes in front of you in the exam? Maybe it's a false comfort. No, I think that I would still stay the same because you just don't have time. It's all well and good to think about the comfort of having notes there. 
But again, Sam and Bridie could probably agree with me on this, but when you get in there and it hits you that you've just spent three or four months of your time studying for this thing and it's now all, all or nothing, that pressure just hits you and you do not have time. The only thing that I flicked through to the exam was just the legislation because I thought there's something that you can't get wrong and that is the precise wording of the legislation. But I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I think that the repetition, just getting it into, into my memory as much as I could was the most important thing so that I could just type without having to look at anything because time is really crucial. Like Sam said, having specified minutes per question is definitely the most important tactic you could do. But for me, it was just purely memory. And um, in answer to Alice Cooney's question, I the first time I sat it, I changed my style several times throughout the lead up to it. The second time, I never changed it. Once I made my mind up, these notes were good enough to pass the exam. I just read them over and over and over and I believed in them. And then that way I thought, well, if I don't pass the second time, I could change it after that. But I just believed in it. I stuck to it and I didn't change anything. That's what helped me. Let me uh, read that question aloud because I'd be interested in Sam's views as well. And Alice has some other very good questions. Sam, did you change your study style throughout your preparation? I did. Um, I suppose my my study style at the very beginning was very much just make some notes, make them compact, sort of easy to navigate. But then I find that I, I was um, given the advice that you should start using those past exams really early on, uh, sort of as, as early as you feel comfortable. And I found that when I had to actually try and translate those notes into answers, I sort of floundered a bit. I, I didn't have that deep knowledge. So I suppose I changed my technique to in response to the exam structure and the exam questions. And I think you can really sort of reverse engineer based on the exams, your notes, if that makes any sense. So you learn which questions are sort of application questions, which questions are frequent sort of just um, statement of principle questions. I suppose my technique was based on actually using those um, exams as study sort of tools themselves right from the very beginning. I, I made sure I did every exam at least once sometimes just half the exam. So the criminal procedure side, I had to work a lot harder on because it wasn't my area at that time. So if that makes sense. It does. And actually that gives rise to another question, which happily it's been a while since I had to cross-examine someone, but I'll try to remember to come back to. When did you bring in flashcards, gents? What stage of the study process? I brought them in fairly early on so that I became familiar with the flashcard and sort of knew what it looked like. And I could remember how it was set out and which sort of rule had three elements and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's not just writing out the flashcards a few weeks beforehand, but having them preferably a month or so before the exam so that you're actually using them in past exam preparation. Matt, did you bring in flashcards from the start? It was after, it was whenever you started the, uh, this program, Judge, it was shortly after that that I then chopped them up and made them, and I scattered them, everybody around the house. I used to have cups of tea all the time, so I'd put a big pile next to the kettle, and while the kettle was boiling, I would use that time then to flip through them, bring a couple to work, a couple on the tram. But, yeah, it, it sort of coincided after um, the everyone's notes got joined together, um, so it was pretty early on. And um, did you listen to lectures from the start? As in your lectures, Judge? No, well, Alice has asked, did you listen to lectures from the start? But um, it's not intended to be some sort of advertisement for something that's offered free of charge. But um, our lectures of assistance, let's ask an, a more open-ended question. I took every opportunity to go do anything related with the bar exam that I could if anyone at the county court was going to be sitting and talking about it or 
there was going to be anything online. I went to every single bar exam presentation night and information night. I uh, just tried to make it as much a part of my life as I could. So I guess, yes. So let's um, phrase it in terms of collaborative learning, perhaps instead of lectures, because lectures suggest that there's someone in authority explaining what the law is. But my understanding is that being part of a, a community of, apparently there are 300 who have expressed interest in bar exam. My approach is that community and peer supported learning is a very, very good idea. Now, a question which is a little bit of crystal ball gazing from John, uh, do you guys think we're in a slightly different, a trickier position on predicting format of the exam and the types of questions we'll get, given that it's a new examiner writing the exam this time around, although that's been corrected, it's same old, same old. So in essence, a past exams a less helpful guide for us com- now compared to the past. Does anyone want to predict the future? We could phrase it a different way, which is, are you sufficiently confident with your um, preparation technique that you feel that it would give you comfort that even if the format of exam was slightly different, that it's still the um, the cleanest process? I don't know, but whenever there's anything new, there's going to be time to learn. And I, I just remember when the bar exam did first come out, I had a few mates that sat it originally and they got through. Maybe that was because people were scared by the new format or I don't know. So, but regard, I had a quick look at the reading guide and it the content still looks the same. So for what it's worth, you still have to learn the content and it's just a matter of how, but everyone has their own, own style. Doing it all online, I don't know if it is going to be different. Um, I see that Sophie said that uh, Jason Harkis is still going to be writing it. So I would assume it's not going to change too much, but yeah, I can't really say much else. I agree that I, you can only take so much from the fact that Jason Harkis um, writes exams and he does have a particular style of writing those exams and you pick that up the more you look at past exams. They do get more challenging, I think, as you go through from the very first ones that are available online from 2014 to the more recent ones. But as for how that will change in the new context of having access to your own notes and everything, it's really hard to say. But there are sort of some fundamental areas and of questions, hearsay questions, questions that, that come up a lot, but it, it just can't hurt to be particularly fluent on those questions that are coming up a lot so that you don't sort of waste time thinking, like reinventing the wheel. Just have like a sort of pre-prepared, rote learned thing for certain um, questions that come up all the time so that you can focus on the really meaty questions that are seven or nine points, which is where the killing ground is for, for um, that I think that they probably separate out people who are better prepared and less well prepared. Killing ground is a, an apt way to describe it by the sounds of it. And everyone sort of gets out their side and starts kind of chopping away. The question that I wanted to circle back to was Sam's um, proposition that you needed to spend extra time out of specialty. If you had some basic understanding in one of civil procedure or uh, criminal procedure, was there a risk in your preparation that you'd lean towards that area because it was like coming home to a very snug and comfortable topic of law or and did you need to do extra effort in the other area? Matt, did you have a view on that? Well, my judge was only in crime and I forgot everything I learned at university about civil. So the first time that I sat it, I put too much emphasis on civil. And uh, for those that don't know, I still think you get a half-half mark when you don't pass. So they'll indicate what you get in civil and what you get in crime. And what I got in civil far outweighed crime, so go figure. But the second time around, I just allocated equal amounts of time and it, it was fine. But the first time, certainly, I had to go back to my uni uh, mm. civil textbooks and teach myself again what everything was. Yes. Sam, do you have anything to add or do you feel like you've already covered it off? I've also heard of um, someone else who 
overcompensated for the area that they weren't as confident in and then um, spend a lot more time in criminal when they were a civil lawyer and then did better in criminal. Um, I had to spend a lot more time on the criminal procedure and um, the Jury Directions Act, the Bail Act. I think there's more content in the criminal side. So if you're a commercial or common law associate, I think that should definitely account, uh, or if you're, based on my experience, you might need to spend more time on the criminal side of things. But I suppose it's a question of assessing how you're going in those past exams. I just felt like there was a lot of a lot in the criminal procedure side of things that I that didn't lend themselves lend itself very well to me intuitively like the procedures in committal the all the all the different procedural steps of a criminal proceeding they sort of didn't make much sense to me until I really got deep down into the criminal procedure act so I think it's important to to make sure that you're not neglecting your own area that you're more familiar with but certainly um, focusing on the area that you're less familiar with any other questions? Oh, here we go. Bridie, Matt and Sam, alas, we've lost Bridie. How did you condense your notes and resist the temptation to regurgitate the legislation in your notes? Matt, did you want to start? Well, firstly, uh, I did my notes um, in combination with a lot of other people through Judge Merrick and um, I did condense them down thereafter, mainly on things that I didn't really understand, on legislation that I thought was going to be important. But also I took out quite a lot of legislation that I knew wasn't going to be important for the exam. For instance, when I did it, the Bail Act, we had to know almost all of it. But as for some of you that know, that there's two sets of factual problems. There's probably never going to be four questions on bail in a bar exam because then the examiner is giving up so much other valuable real estate to the Criminal Procedure Act and so forth. So I put in a lot of the beginnings, like the, the main tests in the Bail Act, but thereafter, I didn't include anything. So I just tried to be a bit practical in that sense and think about, based off previous exams, which legislation needed to be in there almost entirely. So the only one that I did have, all of it, was the Evidence Act, but everything else was condensed. I don't think there's any way around the Evidence Act. We can paraphrase it. We'll learn to paraphrase it as we go, but the words actually need to stay fairly true to the Act, in my view. Um, so I would tend to support that. Sam, do you have anything to add? Um, did you condense your notes? It sounds like by extracting a single page in relation to each topic or a single slide, that actually worked quite effectively in a condensation way. Yes, I definitely did condense my notes. And I think that you um, almost have to, or I find that to really deeply understand a particular test or section, you sort of have to rephrase it, restructure it in a way that makes sense to you and cut out some of the subsections that just uh, there because well, they always do have that sort of thing. So I think it's very important to break it down to its fundamentals. And really, I think when you look at the best, the, the model answers from past exams, they all sort of paraphrase the law or put it in a slightly different way. And you'll find one that makes sense to you. And as, as long as you can refer it back to the, the correct section, I think it's far better to reinterpret the legislation in a way that makes sense to you, condense your notes down to the core tests. Otherwise, you're just yeah, putting slabs of text into your own notes. So I think, I think that is the learning process. That is the study process, for me at least, is in making the notes by condensing them, crystallising it down to the core elements and making sure you can rattle those off. I'll have a go at explaining, in my humble opinion, what might be our best tips and tricks, tips to adopt, tricks to avoid, you'd hope, in relation to the coming now four months so it's not a little bit of time. You've actually got quite a lot of time provided that it's managed effectively, which in my history, if it came to preparing a project, it would usually come in fits and starts. The first 
sort of 60% of it would be foofing around and then I needed a certain amount of pressure in order to do some of the hard work and that's perhaps one of the reasons why I'm recording these discussions because for some the deep thinking and analysis might not come for weeks or months. So on that basis, let's talk globally about a few suggestions that I might have for what I consider to be best practice. Firstly, I tend to agree with Sam, if I can say, about time management. I'm um, obsessive when it comes to time management in an assessment process. You know that there are three hours. I'll be corrected if the time limit has changed this intake. And you know that there are 100 marks. So right from the start, the end point will be that there is 1.8 minutes per mark available to you. And that is the end. You don't get two minutes and you don't get 1.5 minutes. So one of the best practices is going to be to be mindful of the fact that time is not only precious, but it's apportioned across the marks in a linear way. And that tells you precisely how much time you have for, to answer each question. In relation to time management, my suggestion is going to be that whether it's open book, semi-open book or closed book, progressively you will need, as, as Matt and Sam have encouraged you to do, and Bridie as well, to commit as much law as you can, either to sort of deep memory or more likely to working memory. So we will work progressively on techniques at trying to fill it out in relation to each area of law. What are the absolutely um, sort of motherhood points that need to be identified quickly and triage the fundamentals? So in, in a hearsay problem, for instance, we're working towards a point where we could all rattle off a working definition of hearsay and a memory of which section of the Evidence Act gives that definition before being able to move through the definitions and apply to the facts, before being able to move fairly quickly to the exception. So my suggestion to you is, and this will be done obviously collaboratively because of the notes that you're all carefully working on, which will be circulated not only between you, but also to the broader audience of people who might be listening at home or at work by taking the discussion of what the law is. Like Matt, my memory is probably even poorer than Matt, but when I sat my last bar exam before taking this role, I had to use flashcards as well because my brain doesn't reduce matters to memory readily. And so it took a whole bunch of repetition, which was tiresome, but there was no faster way. And really careful problem solving technique, which we can help each other with in terms of identifying, as I mentioned, triaging what the basic parts of the problem are and assisting how we move through a decision tree to the little minutiae, which is where the, the sort of finessing part of the answer lies. It's going to be another one that I um, indicate right from the start as a framework. In past exams, and time will tell whether this is still the case, pass mark was 75 out of 100. We know about time management, I've already mentioned that. 75 means we might aim for 78, we might aim for 80 for the sake of argument. That is still a lot of marks that can be left outside the paper. We're not aiming for perfection, we're aiming for a level where you have managed to identify that many of the points that the examiner was hoping to induce from you that you've managed to get past that score. I think it's easy for candidates to become overwhelmed with how big that number appears to be rather than looking at the other perspective. There's going to be a whole lot of, I think, positive learning in this process rather than black letter law. <laughs> positive learning is you can leave a lot of marks out of the exam, 
and still gets through to the destination. If that is one of the tactics that needs to be used in uh, process management, then that's one that needs to be put up on a post-it note next to the kettle because you're not aiming for 100%. You're not aiming for perfection. You're not aiming to improve yourself personally, just aiming sufficiently and robustly to get through this journey and to gather enough marks that you pass that minimum standard with a couple to spare. So as far as the law is concerned, we can collaborate on that as weeks go on and I'll, in a moment I'll explain exactly what we're going to be doing. Just a, a few health and wellness points and from the generation that most of you belong to, you're probably more conscious of this than I am. My first tip is always, as best you can, if this is how you learn and if this is how you thrive, find a supportive community and reach out to them. So as time goes on, I will encourage you to reach out to one another and those listening at home likewise reach out for others that are um, undergoing the same process so that you can do the tiresome work together and also really importantly have a good laugh together which I think is a, a pretty good way of managing anxiety and the anxiety will be there. I agree with Bridie and this is a point that was picked up by Matt including in a note. I think that for those sitting the exam you actually need to build your capacity to concentrate. That was one thing that I led off with and now I return to it. Three hours is a long time to sit still and perform your finest work. You will end up feeling very weary at the end. You might end up feeling a little exhilarated too if you feel that it's a job well done. The app that um, Matt has mentioned is actually the same one that I use, but any app that uses my te uh, the technique that seems to have clicked with me is a technique called the Pomodoro technique. I don't know if anyone else has heard of that, but it was invented by a gentleman in Italy for whom... Pomodoro was a lovely sweet, sweet fruit, as well as a 25-minute increment. So any of the apps that can practice timekeeping allow you to work for 25 minutes, then reboot for a couple, work for 25 and build up to two-hour blocks and then take a half-hour break. So there are really simple ways of building up immersion and concentration. I actually think in the current pandemic, that's probably going to be one of the more difficult hurdles to overcome in that many of our minds are a little fragmented at the moment. But there's also a joy in that deep study and technique if you can train yourself up to it and if you feel that you're mastering a certain level of competence as time goes on. That will also help to build up robustness and this is something that Matt spoke to. You certainly need that element of robustness. In some ways the law requires uh, robustness in the sense of coming back after disappointment, attempting a past paper, managing not to gather half of the marks that you need to and managing to shake it off as best you can. So that's also going to be a training program. And while I won't always be next to you playing the Rocky theme, I will sort of uh, be as sympathetic as I can to the fact that it's unusual for us to be so obliged to build up robustness over a four month period. But think about that strategically. Think about which bits of your life, you know, uh, which bits of your life might need a bit of a boost. Do you enjoy running? Can you run for 25 minutes and concentrate on that? As Matt mentioned, I'm a big fan of meditation. I'm pretty clumsy at it, but there are some good free apps. Smiling Mind, Headspace has a nice um, library of free apps that will allow you to build up five, 10 minutes, eventually 20 minutes of meditation, which is actually pretty good at defragmenting minds as well. Or whatever it takes to try to chip away at a temptation to become anxious and therefore unproductive. There's heaps of stuff around that and the extent to which you'll need to unpack it is obviously personal. I don't know if that resonated with anyone and uh, whether you'd like to offer a question or a comment. Else, the last thing that I need to mention is you're in good company. 
What we'll be doing is working through each of the topics that's going to be addressed in the exam as per the reading guide. So in relation to each of the topics of evidence, of CivPro, of CrimPro, of ethics, I'm standing on at least one of you to prepare a series of notes that distill the basic principles. And then in each discussion, we'll um, triage the fundamentals and the parts that might need to be addressed, the parts of the law and the parts of the facts that would need to be addressed should there be a call to discuss a hearsay problem, should there be a call to discuss a discovery problem or an ethical scenario. By going through past papers as we go, we'll also recognise patterns in problem solving as have been mentioned. So we'll see that ethics problems walk hand in hand with other ethics problems. So they swing hands together. When you see one ethics problem, there's often a best mate swinging hands with it as well. So you don't just answer one, there's often two or three. And we'll see other pairings in fact patterns. So there's a long road ahead, but um, if you can stay steady and reasonably enthusiastic, which is the most difficult part, it's just a matter of mining through the material. And if your mutual productivity continues, you'll end up with that cheeky set of notes at the end. Um, although, as I mentioned at the start of any recording, it's always a good idea to double check and to adapt the core document into your own personalised document. Okay, we've covered a heap in our first chat. Thank you. Silence means nothing. Oh, here we go. Sam was kind enough to say that he always remembered my wise advice that an ethics problem always comes with a friend. So when it comes to ethics problems, yes, there are two of them swinging hands happily together. Sometimes there's even a third. So ethics looks deceptively simple. Um, some would say deceptively boring, but in any event, often behind that one principal ethics problem is one or two others. So easy marks. As mentioned, we're not going to leave too many marks off the page. We're going to see how many can be gathered on the first run. All right, any last um, contributions? No, in our next discussion, um, we will commence our learning of the black letter law, um, starting with relevance, including circumstantial evidence, and then we'll start talking about our trial procedure in witnesses. So examination, cross-examination, re-examination, moving on to character and credibility. Um, so look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Head to the Bar podcast. For outlines, links to resources and other downloads, please refer to the show notes.